As we go to 1 Samuel chapter number 17, um, if I say the, the phrase, David and, um, how would we fill in the blank? Let's try it really quickly here. David and Goliath. I, most, most people I, I heard say Goliath. Um, there may have been a couple who want to show off their knowledge a little bit who said um, something like maybe Bathsheba, we'll get there, okay? Maybe some of you really wanted to show off your knowledge and you said something like Absalom or whatever. If you don't know who that is, don't worry, we'll get there. Um, next week, we're going to talk about another David and a man named Jonathan who's the son of King Saul. Um, I was doing, because this week is going to be a little bit shortened with holiday plans and things like that, I was doing some study before we even jump into 1 Samuel 17. I want to set the stage for next week. Because next week, um, I'm going to be preaching on a topic that I don't think we preach a lot about. Um, I know I don't. We talk about community a lot and how it's important to gather together. But we're going to be talking next week about the topic of this. You ready? Friendship. Godly and biblical Friendship. You see, David had a friend we're going to see next week named Jonathan. And David and Jonathan just model this beautiful, godly friendship between two individuals. Um, and I think it is one of the most incredible um, just relationships in the Scripture. And so we're going to kind of dig into that next week. And we're going to look at what it means to be a godly friend. And so I hope you make plans to be here. Um, I think, it, honestly, especially as adults, we don't talk as much about making friends, right? But you know, um, I read a statistic recently, and I'm not, I don't want to get into all the weeds, but I'm excited about, I'm excited about this week, I'm excited about, I'm excited about a lot of things. Um, did you know that 25% of adults say that they don't have a single friend outside of their family? 25%! I mean, I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hands. I hope that our stats are a little different within a church body and whatnot. Um, but tw- a whole quarter... 50% said they don't have close friends. I was just blown away by these statistics. Uh, there's an epidemic of relationships within our culture. Um, we want quantity of friends instead of quality of friends. And so you can go have thousands of friends on Facebook or whatever, but in reality... Uh, so I'm not going to preach the whole message. Ne- come back next week. Come back next week. Okay? This week, 1 Samuel chapter 17. This week I want to talk about the topic of this. Courageous faith. Courageous faith. As I was reading this passage, I was just thinking about how much courageous faith was necessary to follow after the things that God was leading David to do. If you're not familiar with the story, we're going to get to it. You'll see what I'm talking about. But as I was thinking, as I was considering this, one of the necessary elements for courage is fear. You think about this? If you think of anyone who has ever done something courageous, well, if there wasn't an element of risk, an element of fear involved, was that act actually courageous? Or was it courageous for you to get out of bed this morning? For most of you, probably not. Um, your trip to Tim Hortons on the way here, did that take a lot of courage? Probably not, because there's no opposition. There's no, there's no difficulty. There's no challenge in front of that. 
And so we wouldn't call those things necessarily courageous, maybe in special circumstances, such as a disease or some sort of life-threatening thing, we would say, wow, now in context that becomes courageous. But for you and I as healthy individuals, uh, able-bodied for those of us who are and blessed to be so, we wouldn't look at those things and say, well, that's a courageous thing. But there are times in our life that require, require courageous faith. And we're going to examine one of those moments within David's life. In fact, many would look at this and say, well, this is a defining moment within David's life. I think this was a revelation of who David had already chose to become. Okay. So if I have to put this in context, I think this is who David was. And now everyone else was coming to realize it. Okay. Because we understand as we get into this, I need you to grasp courageous faith doesn't occur in the moment that it's necessary. It's built before those times come. You hear me? Don't say when I get the call and it's cancer, I will now have courageous faith. God may use that to grow your faith, but if that faith is not already there, it's going to leave you broken and beat up and shattered. That's what's going to happen. I've watched it. We've seen it. You could tell stories about it. But what we see is that this courageous faith of David was put in the forefront because he had this opportunity to demonstrate it. See, God gives opportunities to demonstrate courageous faith. God gives us opportunities to demonstrate courageous faith. Oftentimes, we call these opportunities opposition, or we call them obstacles, or hardships, or trials. But in reality, these are opportunities that we have to demonstrate the faith that we have in God. And as we begin this chapter, I want you to understand it in this context. Israel had an opportunity named Goliath. You say, Nate, that's a funny word for giant. (laughs) It's a funny word for enemy. But I want you to see, right in front of them, there's an opportunity to follow God faithfully. Look at verse number one of chapter 17, and we're going to read a good passage of this um, right now. I want to set the stage. We'll kind of read through it with commentary, if you will. So verse number one, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. Philistines, um, if you're looking at modern day Israel, the Philistines occupied the area right next to the Mediterranean and the southern portion of modern day Israel. So just north of Egypt, um, just south of what's modern day Lebanon. And so this was where the Philistines occupied. But now they're gathering their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. Judah is a large piece of Israel that's in the southern portion of the nation. And in camp between Soka and Azekah and Ephesdemon, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And so these two armies are now at a standoff between each other. Both of them saying, you're going to go no further. Both of them saying, this is where we draw the line. This is where this is going to take place. In this route between the major population centers of the Philistines and the major cities of Judah. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Wow, six cubits in a span. You guys know exactly how tall that is, right? 
<laughs> um, a cubit is actually, so it's, it's kind of debated. We don't know exactly how tall. A cubit was measured kind of the length of a forearm, okay? So really precise measuring tool. A span was half of the length of a forearm. Um, so really anywhere, we're kind of looking at Goliath being anywhere between about eight and a half feet tall to potentially nine and a half feet tall, all right? So think of the tallest person you've ever met, and they dwarf them. Um, Goliath was a massive human being. Regardless of how tall, the point is this. He was huge, and David was not. We'll get there in a minute. But he was this massive man, this massive man. And watch what it says. Um, He had, verse 5, a helmet of bronze on his head, armed with a coat of mail, And this bronze, let me say this, bronze was like the um, top tier metal of the day. This is before iron was commonly used. So this is like quality stuff, quality stuff. And so he has this helmet of bronze. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And so this was, um, this was about um, 125, pounds is my understanding of these measures. He had a bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slug between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, so about 15 pounds here. His shield bearer went before him. And so this man is just armored. He is, he is just weighted down. It looks impenetrable. He has these massive weapons. Before you and I, as average human beings, could even reach him with a sword, we're done for. He has demolished you or me. And watch what he does. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, verse 8, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. See, there was this opportunity for the people of Israel to demonstrate their faith in God. But instead of encouraging themselves in the Lord, strengthening themselves in the Lord, what do we see the characteristic of this army becomes? They were dismayed, discouraged, afraid. If I were to call you out to fight against a man who is nine feet tall and heavily armored, you would probably be a little afraid too. That's, a, that's, called, um, that's called being wise. <laughs> you should be afraid. But how did these Israelites respond? They were dismayed. They were discouraged. How can we possibly go out there against them? Verse 12, we meet David once again. This is only the second time in the scripture that we see David. He was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. And we learned last week he was the youngest of these sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. The names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And so these are the three oldest sons of Jesse. They are old enough now to serve, and Jesse himself was an elderly man, so he was not fighting. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem for 40 days. So how long is this going on? Is this a one-time event? 
For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Now understand this. I get that some days when the fear is in front of us, it can be difficult. We can be a little paralyzed. That's not even what's going on here. For 40 days, this is happening over and over and over and over again. And yet the Israelites, after 20 days, three weeks, two weeks, a week, no, nothing's changed. For 40 days, they're just holding on, hoping that the Philistines don't come forward to them. Verse 17, a day comes that Jesse says to David, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves. What we just read kind of indicates this is probably a regular occurrence. He's probably going back and forth between this army and he's trying to encourage his brothers and, and going as a servant to his dad to help him out. And so he goes to check on his brothers, brings this parched grain, 10 loaves, carries them to the camp. He says, take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousands. So let's go um, take these to the, the other men that they're serving with. See if your brothers are well. Bring some token from them. Um, what's he saying? Proof of life. <laughs> he's saying, I hope my kids are okay. Been there, done that? Um, yeah. Now Saul and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah. They were fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And so they're going together. They're, you know, pounding their shields, and they're giving a show of force, if you will. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And so he runs up to his brothers, finds them, and he talked with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. This time something was different. David heard him. And so in this moment... Something has changed. David has run this errand, it seems like, before. But now he arrives on a day when they're gathering. It's such a time that they're gathering. And just in that moment, as uh, providence would have it, Goliath is coming out just at this time to give his daily um, discouragement to the Israelites. And so he's issuing this challenge once again. And David her hears this for the first time. And what does he see in verse 24? All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So not only are they internally afraid, but they're actually acting on this fear. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. And so this is actually the first that David speaks in the Bible. Um, these words right here. As he speaks here, he, he comes and he says, he's not just defying you. He's not just uh, trash-talking you, Israel. What is he doing? He's defying what? The armies of the living God. So David doesn't just look and go, man, you guys are pretty pathetic. I'm going to go back home. What does he say? 
He says, wait a second, I'm taking offense at this because you are calling out my God. Israel, we're called to be a light. We're called to be the people of God. And and here we are. He's supposed to go and fight before us. And and we're afraid of this man. And so David takes uh, issue with the way the people of Israel are responding. But watch this. Even as David begins to articulate this courageous faith, I want you to see this in verse 28. Because Goliath wasn't the only um, opportunity for courageous faith. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And so in the middle of this, what just happened? He expresses these things and Eliab doesn't interpret this as being courageous faith. Instead, he looks at it as arrogance, doesn't he? He says, you came up here to see the battle. You came up here to, to try to pick at us. You came up here to, to mock us too. And, and so he becomes irate with David. But I want you to understand this. Faithless individuals will criticize faith. You hear me? Faithless individuals will criticize faith. When people of faith step forward and say, hey, this is where God is leading, and I know it's risky. I know it's, it's a little bit tumultuous. I, I know there's some unseen things here. But God is calling us in this direction, and we need to go, and we need to respond. Faithless people are going to stand up, and they're going to be like, hmm, ah, hmm, oh, oh, okay. They're going to question motives. They're going to interpret it as some sort of arrogance. When in reality, was David getting up and saying, oh, man, guys, I'm a great warrior. Let me at him. Was that what David said? Where in here does David said, oh, I can anything? David never makes that statement. Because David understands what's actually at stake here. What's at stake in the middle of this is the glory of God. And he says, no, that is a non-negotiable for me. No one stands against my God and gets away with it. And so Eliab doesn't see that. Eliab takes his own motives, in fact, and places it on David. Isn't that amazing? He takes his own insecurities, his own lack of faithfulness, and he puts that onto David and says, wow, David, I can't believe you are behaving this way. When in reality, Eliab is the one who is behaving faithlessly. He's being shown up by his baby brother. How embarrassing is that? If you're a big brother or a big sister, there are those moments when your younger siblings begin to eclipse you in certain things. And we never admit it, right? We never own up to that. My brothers and I, we all played soccer growing up. We played soccer, we played basketball. There came a point that um, a couple of them think they became a better soccer player than me. Can you believe that? Obviously untrue. Lies abounding. Right? I'm never going to own up to that. I'm never going to admit to that. And so here we have Eliab who's going, excuse me? 
You think you're tougher than me? You think you're braver than I am? And so he becomes irate with David. And let me encourage you that, let me encourage you this morning. Sometimes you may see courageous faith in other individuals. God might be leading other people to do things and you would look around and say, I don't understand it. Can I say this really, really clearly? Don't be Eliab. Don't be Eliab. If other people believe that God is leading them to behave in faith, don't stand up and go, no, no. Say, okay, hey, if God's leading you in this space, God's leading you in this space. Because what we're seeing is Eliab is trying to oppose what God is doing in David's life because he didn't understand it and didn't share in this faith. And can I really encourage you this way? As we go into this, we're going to get here in a minute. You and I, we like to be David in this story. Can I just encourage all of you before we get too much further? Um, if we are in this story, we're not David. <laughs> You're not David, neither am I. Now, should we emulate this faith of David? Yes. But in this story, we're going to see very clearly we are not David. In fact, David is Jesus. Um, he's about to fight a battle that we couldn't fight, and we're going to share in a victory that he won for us. We'll get there. But understand that when your brothers and sisters in Christ desire to take steps of courageous faith, I'm not saying don't counsel. I'm not saying don't speak truth. I am saying don't attempt to discourage them from doing what God is calling them to do. But I want you to understand here in verse number 31. Watch with me. Begin a reading. The words that David spoke were heard. They repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And so messengers go to Saul and say, oh, someone said he's going to go get Goliath. And they get all excited about this. They go to Saul. David said to Saul. So now Saul is in David. David's in Saul's presence. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. Watch what he says. You're but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him, delivered it out of his mouth. If he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. He's defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. That feels like the most sarcastic sentence in the book of 1 Samuel. But here's what I want you to grasp. That reasoning is very simplistic, right? Uh, I, hey, listen, I, I've, had to, I've had to fight stuff before. I was a shepherd, and there, was, there were animals, there were predators that were coming after my sheep. So I've had to fight a lion. I've had to fight a bear. And we don't know the size of these things. We don't know. But he says, hey, listen, you know, I, I mean, I've been around the block. I've thrown a couple punches. I've, I've dispatched a I mean, like, this can't be so different, right? But as David comes up before, before the king, I want you to grasp this. And this is a theme all throughout the scriptures. In fact, Jesus really deeply presses into this a few times. Courageous faith is childlike faith. Courageous faith is childlike faith. 
You see, David didn't go out and say, okay, what are all the measurements? What are all the intangibles? If you watch boxing or MMA or any kind of combat sport, they give you the height, the weight, the reach, the, all of these different measurements. If you stack these things up, I mean, listen, David isn't getting a dollar put on him, right? Like, no one is coming out to, to say, oh, yeah, my money's on David. No. There's a reason today we call it a David and Goliath story. But what we see is that David's faith, it's a simplistic faith. It's not overcomplicated. But actually what takes place, watch this. As Saul begins to speak to him, and Saul begins to speak down to him, verse number 33, you're not able to go against the Philistine. You are what? You're a youth. You're just a kid. We don't know the exact age of David in this story. Um, what we do know is that David's only three of his brothers, he's the youngest of eight, three of his brothers are old enough to fight in Saul's army, which means five of his brothers are likely not yet of fighting age. And so David is responsible enough to care for sheep and to do some of these things, but not old enough, and neither are multiple of his brothers. Um, and so if I had to best guess throw out, David is probably what we're looking at as maybe like 15 or 16. And that might be generous. Okay. We're looking at teenager old enough to have some responsibility, but not old enough to actually be a part of this. And in fact, he's got other siblings ahead of him as far as going and fighting in the army goes. So David's probably a teenager, give or take. Um, he's probably right there in the middle of what we would call his teenage years. And so as he comes to Saul, Saul says, listen, you can't go fight him. You're a kid, and this guy's been training since he was a kid. What's he saying? He's been doing it longer than you've been alive. Right? Man, I know I'm getting older because I say those things to my kids. <laughs> What we see is we see that David is coming in this way that Saul, the one who had been around the block, saw how things worked. He says, no, 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 no. That's not how anything's going to take place. But can I just say this? And especially like if you're in this room and you're like a young adult, um, a teenager, we have a few kids even in this room. Um, can I just, I really, 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 really want to clear, clearly say this. Don't let anyone tell you, don't let anyone tell you that you'll be able to serve God someday. Okay? You hear me? Your someday is today. I love, our kids went home last week um, with a little craft that said this, I can be a missionary today. Yes! In fact, there are people sitting in this room because teenagers chose to share their faith with other teenagers. How incredible is that? Don't look around and say, oh, tomorrow. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. Tomorrow doesn't come. You serve God where you are right now. And God's faithful. In fact, Jesus, as he is teaching, there are children that want to come to Jesus, and the disciples say, hey, no, 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 no. Jesus doesn't have time for you. And what happens? What takes place? Jesus says, hey, knock that off. Let them come to me. And what does he say? Such is the kingdom of God. Their faith is the faith of the kingdom. 
You as adults, we as adults, I'm right here with you. You know what we do is we overcomplicate our faith. We make it more difficult. We've seen how things play out. And so we say, oh, there's no way that that is going to happen in a way that we want it to happen. And I think oftentimes we have so become so ingrained in the way that things are supposed to work that God wants to move. And we say, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to happen. So is it any surprise that God chooses to work through the faith of children when you and I, in reality, have walked away from our faith? I mean, because for kids, it's simple. Kids believe God can do anything. And you and I believe that God can probably do a lot of things most of the time if you really wanted to. And so what we see is we see David exercising just bold, courageous faith. Why? Because he's too ignorant to know any better. Some of us would be better off a little ignorant, wouldn't we? God, let us be forgetful enough to be able to trust in you. And what does David do? Because it's not a fully unfounded faith. He's not getting up and he's not just like, well, you know, I mean, I guess it could be that hard, right? No, he's overcome some things. He looks back and he says, there was a lion, there was a bear. I mean, God took care of me then. And the fact is, is that you and I as adults, we ought to have such a faith that we look back at the things that God did and we say, God, you've done it before. God, you can do it again. Those moments ought to build our faith, not allow us to get crusty and apathetic and comfortable with where we are. And so what we see is that this faith is a childlike faith. I think all of us um, would understand and even admit that there's not a maturation date to godliness. Now I have hit such and such years old, or I've been a Christian for so many years, and mm, poof, magically, I'm godly. It's not how it works. In fact, I think we've all known uh, godly teenagers and wicked senior citizens. <laughs> you see, it's not about your age, it's about your obedience. Lord willing, our obedience grows as we age. But can I encourage you, young adults, median adults, and senior citizens, begin with obedience. The rest will take care of itself. I want you to see verse number 38. Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor and tried to, in vain to go, for he had not tested them. One of the funny things about this is that we don't really have a physical description of David um, as far as like size goes, so we kind of make an assumption that he was pretty average um, in his size. Um, Saul, we actually know how big Saul was. Saul was head and shoulders over everyone else. Saul was this impressive man. And so he puts this armor. He says, oh, well, give him my armor. Um, we might have to take it in a little bit. Because <laughs> his armor was most certainly just absolutely oversized. Um, I also want to point out, who should have been wearing Saul's armor? Saul! <laughs> oh, <laughs> good grief. I mean, you, Saul, you're the king, dude. You're, you're, you're bigger than everyone else. Like, he's literally, the Bible calls him head and shoulders above everyone else. 
I mean, so he's still small compared to Goliath, but he's bigger than most people. Saul, why is your armor available? Okay, anyways, end of rant. What we see here, watch what he says. David said, it's middle of verse 39, I can't go with these. I've not tested them. So I put them off. So David put them off. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook. This is the brook that runs through this valley. Put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The dumbest war plan I've ever seen. Right? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, hey, if he goes and he dies, then I mean, hey, maybe it'll stir everybody else up. But what happens? We see right here that courageous faith is placed in the unseen. You hear me? Courageous faith is placed in the unseen. You see, has anyone ever that we are aware of won a war with a, a, a sling? We're not even talking like a slingshot. We're talking like two leather straps, a little pouch, rock in the middle. Right? Has anyone ever won a battle with that? For his sword, what sword does he take? A shepherd's staff. What are you going to do to an armor-clad giant with a rock and a stick? Hello? What's wrong with you, David? (laughs) But David goes out here in the middle of an unseen way. He says, this is what I am being led to do. You see, David, as you go out, you say, David, what are you even trying to accomplish? He doesn't say. He doesn't sit down and give you this scheme and this plan and say, okay, so if I come out here and then if the rock is just at this right end, and then if I, no, he says, this is all I know to do. This is all I know to do. These are the weapons that I'm familiar with. Uh, I, I, this is, this is all I have. You see, if David even owned a sword, he left it at home, Right? So he doesn't know what's happening. He, doesn't, he just says, this, I, just, I, don't, I don't know. I just know I'm supposed to go. But he placed his faith in the unseen. If you have to see everything and exactly how God is going to work, you ready for this? That's not faith. Hebrews chapter 11, in fact, tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that are unseen. And so faith draws us and compels us to the, move towards the object of our faith, even when we can't see the object of our faith. And so if you can see it, it's no longer faith. It has now been disqualified as faith. But courageous faith is placed in the unseen. Verse 41, watch what takes place here. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. What is he saying? Oh, what a cute little boy. Did you get lost? Did you wander out here? Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? What are you going to do? you going to swap me with that? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. He said to David, verse 44, Come to me, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. 
What's he saying? I'm going to rip you apart and leave you rotting here. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know. And I almost imagine as he's doing this, he's like looking back at Israel, right? (laughs) Going that all this assembly may know that everyone here may learn that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. The battle's the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. The Philistine arose, came and drew near to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I just love that. David's not like, okay, he's coming, he's coming. No, what's David doing? He's like, bring it on. (laughs) He's in. He put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the ground. I mean, can you just imagine? I I just imagine some people in the army of Israel, like, they're like, oh man, this is going to be really bad. I can't watch. They turn back around and Goliath's face down on the ground. (laughs) Did he trip? (laughs) What just happened? David prevailed over the Philistine in verse 50 with a sling, with a stone, struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath, the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. The people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army. Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And actually what we're going to see is as he's um, asking this question, um, this is because what was promised to the man who would kill the giants? He's going to marry his daughter. He's going, oh, okay, well, I guess that's my son-in-law. So who am I related to now? We're actually going to see it tease out. I promise you this is actually what's going on. Because he knew, okay, Saul knew David. We talked about this last week. Saul knew David. David would come and he would play music for him. And he goes, whose family is this kid from again? (laughs) And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. So this is fun. There's a teenage kid walking around. Listen, teenage kids walking around with someone's head in their hand. All right. I I just, at what point does someone intervene and say like, hey, let me take this. (laughs) But whatever, he's coming before the king. He's got the Philistine's head. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Um, We're going to look next week. What what wisdom in this answer? The son of your servant. The humility of David, who just, let's be really honest, embarrassed Saul, embarrassed all these men. But the humility of this David who would come in and say, I'm, I'm the son of your servant, 
Jesse, the Bethlehemite. We're going to see the wisdom in that even next week as we get into this relationship of David and Jonathan. Jonathan, by the way, son of King Saul, heir apparent of the nation of Israel. David, the anointed king, his best friend. Incredible things. As we look at all of these things, I want you to understand, we see David going out and fighting Goliath. Courageous faith is only as good as the object it is placed in. You hear me? David didn't go out and say, I am so good with this sling. Watch me hit that giant from here. How did David embrace the battle? He said, this is God's fight. This is God's battle. I'm just participating in it. You see, his faith wasn't in his own ability. And you and I, the object of our faith is much, much more important than the strength of our faith. In fact, the scriptures tell us, by grace are you saved through faith. He says, even that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, faith in many ways is like a hand that is reaching out towards an object. But what that hand is reaching out towards matters. We can place our faith in our own goodness, our own ability, and our own strength. And can I tell you where that faith is going to get you? Nowhere. That faith is going to fail. The faith is going to fracture. It's going to break. It's going to be a worthless faith. Why? Because you put it in something that was incapable. It's like sitting down in a broken chair. Well, that chair's not going to hold you. Oh, I have faith that this chair is. Listen, no, it's not. No, it's not. And sometimes I think that we interpret, we say, oh, well, I had faith right here. And listen, my question for you is this. What is your faith in? See, courageous faith, the object of that faith matters. And as we see all of this play out, we see this group, these, these men who ought to have been able to go. And, and surely, if they had gone out in the name of the Lord to fight Goliath, Eliab could have been the one whose name we were talking about, right? That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't how God was working all these things out. But if anyone else in the name of the Lord had gone out to defy this giant, I mean, I have to think that. Because surely if David could... Couldn't anyone? Because it wasn't about David. It was about the God that he placed his faith in. You see, today in this world, we have a problem that is so much bigger than Goliath. We have a giant that all of us face, and it's the giant that we call sin. You see, and your sin wants to kill, wants to destroy, wants to tear apart. Your sin wants to watch the birds and the beasts come eat the things that are left over when it's done with you. Your sin wants to destroy. And in fact, our enemy is, is called a, a, it's a thief in the night. He's a roaring lion. He's seeking about whom he may devour. And you and I, we're as helpless as a lion. We're as helpless as these Israelites. But something beautiful took place. You see, God, knowing our faithlessness, sent his son, Jesus. 
And Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, no sin ever found in him because it wasn't there. And yet dies on the cross for your sin and for mine. Fights the enemies of sin and death that you and I could never overcome. Why? So that we could participate in his victory. So that you and I might have life and might have it more abundantly. And so we see that this David here is actually a picture of a true and better David. Jesus, my friends, is a better David. So whose faith are we emulating? Whose faith are we looking to? As we look at David's faith, surely we can learn about what courageous faith looks like. And it points us to the faith of Jesus Christ. You see, well, what did Jesus, it took faith for Jesus to? Yeah, absolutely. Even as Jesus went to the garden, what does he say? He says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He trusted in the Father. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, you and I can have victory forever over our sin. Just like David won and the Philistines ran, so Jesus has won and you and I can live. Eliab did nothing this day, did he? Eliab didn't go out and win the fight. The Israelites didn't go out and win the fight. Saul didn't go out and win win the fight. Yet, they participated in the victory that God won through David. You see, today, you can't overcome your sin in your own strength. You can't be so good or so disciplined or so anything. No, you and I, we are guilty. Guilty before God. But Jesus, and he came, he defeated that giant of sin. He he took it and just like David conquered Goliath, Jesus conquered for you. And so today, we are invited to share in the victory of Jesus. Not because we are strong or because we are good or even because we are faithful, but because he is faithful.